Eternal God and Father in heaven, you know how much I've been wrestling with this message to present here at Orient Man Conference. And yet in the point when I feel least able is when I know that you're most able to work through me this evening. And so I invite your presence and I ask for your spirit to flow through and that your words will be spoken and that each heart will receive individual the messages intended for each soul. Thank you for hearing and answering us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So link for service, that's our theme this year. And our message, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18, a passage that you may have read many times, but one of those that you may probably not like to dwell on too much. But tonight we are going to dwell on it. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 23, a very short passage, but full of a lesson, lessons for all of us. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And this is uh, obviously uh, an important account in the scriptures because three out of four gospel writers, Matthew also records it in Matthew 16, 19, 16 to 29, and so does Mark in Mark 10, 17 to 30. So three of the gospel writers felt it was important enough to to repeat, this, to repeat this account that was observed. Well, we have uh, several accounts of Jesus calling disciples and with prompt obedience to that. This, is an, this, this is, an, is an exception. One of the earliest accounts is Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus called the first disciple, Simon Peter, and Andrew, his brother. The Bible says they left their nets and followed him. In Matthew 9, verse 9, we read the account of the call to Matthew, the tax collector, in his tax office, who promptly left it and followed Jesus. And in John 1:49, we find the account of Jesus going to Galilee, where he found Philip. And once again, he extended an invitation, follow me, and Philip did. The Gospel Commission, in Matthew 28, 90-20, is a command to all of us to extend that invitation to the world to follow Jesus and become his disciples. So the call to the rich young ruler was not, not the first, it was not unique in that sense. It had been extended many times before, and in all of the other accounts it had been accepted. The unique aspect of this call is that it was initiated by the individual, rather by Jesus, than by Jesus, as noted in the previous accounts. This man sought Jesus on his own, which puts more of an obligation upon him to take the call seriously. The rich young ruler represents many of us who think we have it all only to come in contact with a savior and being asked the impossible, in bracket, with man. Without a complete surrender to master, we are all incomplete, missing something. The rich young ruler was no exception. He had everything as far as the world was concerned, but he still felt empty, lacking the most important, a total surrender to the master. See, Richard Willow represents the spiritual condition of many in the world today, outside the church, and sadly to say, 
also within. So as I present this message today, I consider it applicable to myself first, then to you, my colleagues, and only then to the world around us. And I'll tell the story this past, uh, when I was first asked by the programming committee to present a message, this immediately came to my mind. As a matter of fact, this message was prepared months ago, and I've been just working at it ever since and wrestling with it because I have thought, first of all, the Lord had a message, has a message for me personally first. Well, every day you and I meet people in our daily lives and also in the news and popular culture reminds us of the many rich young rulers out there. People who would seem to have it all, but are still lacking the most important, the all-important relationship with God. It seems like almost everything in the news you hear of a celebrity or someone who you thought should be at the pinnacle of his or her life, maybe someone where you would like to be. And then later you, hear, you read or hear their brokenness, whether it be with drugs or alcohol or illicit sex, a broken relationship. And the church and we within are not exempt. And occasionally this also surfaces in our church. The other aspect of this account that I find intriguing is that this gentleman was a commandment-keeping Adventist. He was. He was quick to point to the Savior that all of the commandments he had kept from his youth. And since he was still young, could it be that he was born into the truth, like many of us. So in many ways, this account in the scripture speaks to each one of us very directly. Well, was, so who was this rich young ruler, and is a call to him relevant to us? Well, the Spirit of Prophecy in the book Desire of Ages, this entire chapter, chapter 57, kind of deals with it. And it, it mentions a few things. One of them is that he was materially well off. He occupied a position of influence and leadership. He had great promise ahead of him for promotion and a life of greater security and influence. He was impressed with the way Jesus blessed the children, and he wanted the same. If you read the account, you'll find that this followed right after Jesus blessed the children. And he was impressed with that, and he wanted the same. But that was as far as he thought. Well, it's similar with many of us today who want the gifts but would rather disregard the giver. And sadly, the most wonderful of all, a relationship of intimacy with God himself. And so I ask all of us, how about us as a group in Amen? In many ways, we have to identify with this rich young ruler. Many of us are within the top 5% of the U.S. income bracket. We are in the highest rated profession in terms of respect and prestige. We have substantial influence with our patients and within our church and community. We are also keeping commandments and seeking eternal life. Yes, like the rich young ruler, many of us have embarked on this journey in medical evangelism because we still feel something lacking. Well, in Luke 18, 20, Jesus, in response to his inquiry, reiterated the last six commandments, outlining our responsibility to our fellow man. You know the commandments, he said. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And his response in Matthew 19, 20 is, quite, is very insightful. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now this is amazing. You would think that he would go on his way rejoicing. After all, Jesus reiterated the commandments that need to be kept. And he forthrightly said, hey, I've kept all of these from my youth. But as the text brings out the crux of the spiritual discussion, all of us need to be engaged in. You see, we are all incomplete without that right relationship with the master. 
Today, imagine that he is passing by and you are engaged in that serious spiritual discussion with the great physician. How would that go? Well, Jesus reaffirmed the never-changing requirements for salvation, absolute obedience to his commandments. Are you keeping the commandments? Well, continue doing so. Jesus could have congratulated him and encouraged him, but he did not. Instead, he asked for more. In Luke 18.22, it says, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, I would use the term bombshell, deal breaker. This would be the kind of terms that would be used in the secular world out there in terms of a proposal that is not going to go anywhere. This would be tough for any one of us, much less a rich young ruler. Did Jesus really mean this? From riches to rags, from leadership and influence to being despised, from a bright, promising future to the bleak, dark path towards the cross. Is Jesus asking the same that he asked? Is he asking the same from us as he asked for the rich young ruler? Surrender of material possessions, surrender of anything or anyone that stands in the way of a complete surrender to the master? Indeed, surrender of life itself. This represents the essence of eternal life, connected to the eternal one. The current state of Christianity in our nation and the world around us is very similar to the mindset of a rich young ruler. We live in an age where people seek out a gospel that is suited to their material, material desire. The new term, indeed, is a prosperity gospel. And the essence of it is that God wants you to have it all and to have it now, and you're entitled to it. Even the names of some of these proponents reflect this. One proponent is a certain preacher by the name, you guessed it, Reverend Dollar. Recently, a U.S. Senate investigation was launched into looking at a lot of these modern-day ministries and uncovered some very shameless abuses of ministerial privileges. Indeed, even some of the bestsellers, like New York Times bestseller, Prayer Jabez, is a number one bestseller for a long time. One of our famous uh, pre uh, preachers in the, in the evangelical world there is a gentleman by the name of Joel Olstein, pastor of one of the largest Christian congregations reaching over 200 million households in the U.S. alone. And in any, many of these cases, it's not necessarily theologically wrong, it's just a matter of the emphasis. So even in the church, that potential exists for us to want to have a greater influence or a wider ministry but for the wrong reasons and needing the same call as the rich young ruler. Well, his Desire of Ages in page 3, 520 uh, states he, his claim that he had kept the law of God was a deception. He showed that riches were his idol. He could, he could not keep the commandments of God while the world was first in his affections. He loved the gifts of God more than he loved the giver. Christ had offered a young man fellowship with himself. Could it be that through our own personal experience, our own journey, we are experiencing that same call as a rich young ruler did? Are you going through a financial downturn in your practice recently? Do you struggle to get reimbursed for services performed in your practice? Do you struggle to keep a co consistent, cohesive staff, a ministry or end of staff in your office, only to experience turmoil? If you're in an employed situation as a physician or dentist, are you having difficulty engaging in ministry due to the environment you're in? 
Could it be that through that journey and through that struggle lies a call for a more complete surrender and acknowledgement that indeed only through him can you achieve his purpose and it takes a complete surrender. In that wonderful chapter on the champions of faith, the book of Hebrews, the inspiration pens the necessary ingredients for, for this self-surrender. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. After giving an account of all these champions of faith, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 11:16 says, Now they desire, but now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. I submit to you that the rich young ruler had difficulty making the right decision because he did not have a conviction as to the reality of that heavenly country. Could it be that whatever difficulties, trials you are experiencing right now is only a reminder of the transient nature of our current situation in this, in this sinful world and our need to focus on loving is appearing as the Apostle Paul enjoins in 2 Timothy. When I prepared this message, it was long before all this turmoil in the financial markets come upon us, but it only reinforced me as I looked at it the past few weeks as the changes that came about and so rapidly, how much we are in need of that divine perspective. Well, Mark 10, 21 records, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. Now that's what I liked about Mark, what Mark that was unique about his account. He was the only one among the three gospel writers that actually put that statement in. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him. His heart went out to him in love and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. Now let's think this through as a group. If Jesus indeed loved him, as Mark outlined, then why would he make him poor, less secure, from a prominent position to a despised position of following the rabbi from Galilee? Once again, I submit to you, it's all summed up in one word, eternity. It's all about eternity. From a secular three score and ten perspective, this is indeed a difficult and an impossible thing. But when you take on a divine perspective, when you take on the eternity mindset, it all comes together and it all makes sense. The rich young ruler, unfortunately, was concerned about his material well-being and possession here. But Jesus, in that deep love for him, was concerned about his eternal salvation. And that is a message that comes to each one of us. Now, why this apparently hard requirement from a secular standpoint? These are ages in page 5, 19, and 20 puts, puts it true. It says, she says that he has claimed to have kept the laws of deception. Riches were his idols. He was keeping the form, but not the spirit. Whereas Jesus was seeking his best eternal good. It's not the first time someone has called from a, a life of comfort and ease to service. Moses is recorded in Hebrews 11 as one who made that choice. And many others record in that chapter of faith who made a deliberate choice for eternity. You see the condition of our hearts, the condition of our church, should I say, the condition of amen. It's not that we're apostate, we're apostate, it is, nor is it that we are, it, no, it is that we are wavering between faith and sight, between living like a secular humanist who believe that this life is all there is, to the belief in eternity and the soon coming of the King of Kings. 
We need the same message that Elijah delivered to apostate Israel and Mount Carmel when he said, How long are you, do, are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But be, if Baal is God, follow him. And I thought that was insightful in that book, uh, Prophets and Kings, when, when uh, the portion is recorded here. It says, The Lord abhors indifference and disloyalty in a time of crisis in his work. The whole universe is watching with inexpressible interest the closing scenes of the great controversy between good and evil. The people of God are nearing the borders of the eternal world. What can be more import of more importance to them than they be loyal to the God of heaven? All through the ages, God has moral heroes, and he has them now. Those who, like Joseph and Elisha and Daniel, are not ashamed to acknowledge themselves his peculiar people. His special blessing accompanies the labors of men of action, men who will not be swerved from the straight line of duty, but who with divine energy will inquire who is on the Lord's side, men who will not stop merely with the inquiry, but who will demand that those who choose to identify themselves with the people of God shall step forward and reveal unmistakably their allegiance to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Such men make their wills and plans subordinate to the law of God. For love of him, they count not their lives dear unto themselves. Their work is to catch the light from the word and let it shine forth to the world in clear, steady rays. Fidelity to God is their motto. So as I thought of this message of Rich Young Ruler, I couldn't help but reflect on that passage as well, Elijah and Mount Carmel. So like our spiritual forefathers of faith recorded in Hebrews 11, we need to challenge ourselves as Amen members, as physicians, as dentists, we need to challenge ourselves to a life of faith in the 21st century, making decisions on the use of our time, talent, and treasure that reflects a divine mindset, an eternity perspective, should I say. We need to start making those decisions now, or the Lord will have to confront us in love as he did the rich young ruler. Well, it's hard to reflect. One of the things that Jesus said in his, uh, when, he, um, when he was talking about his coming, is that, he, is that like as the days of Noah, show us how the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. And we are indeed living in the last days. I think the events over the past few months, only weeks, and the events ongoing reflect those so clearly. And like the, the patriarch Noah, that Jesus mentioned before the flood, we are also called to make radical decisions, reflecting our belief in the second coming, like Noah did prior to the flood. Just imagine, here is this patriarch, God comes to him and says, I want you to build an ark, there is going to be a flood. At a time when there was never any rain, there had never been a flood, water came from under the earth like a mist and just watered the earth, and it was just absolutely beautiful, there was never any such thing. And here he is called upon to build an ark. And so, he goes on for 120 years building this ark, while the secular world around him comes around asking, what are you doing? And he says, oh, there's going to be a flood. How do you know? Well, God told me. And so I ask, I ask myself and I ask all of us today, what should we be doing at this late hour before his return that reflects art building? We must redefine the success of our medical and dental practices in terms of its effectiveness for reaching patients for the master rather than the traditional basis of how much patients we see, what the financial margin is, or many of those are the secular mindset of determining a practice success. 
So that's one thing we can think about as we think of reflecting in the days of Noah, how we would live like, uh, like Noah did in, the, in his days. Students and residents looking for practice opportunities must ask the question, a different question, where can I be most effective in ministry rather than what will be most convenient for me or for my family? Some of us who are currently in practice situations that may be convenient and comfortable for us, maybe even lucrative, but if you are constrained in terms of your ability to share Christ within that setting, you need to change that situation or look for a different practice. You can be effective in, you, where you can be effective in ministry, that would be modern-day ARC building. What would an ARC building AMEN organization look like? Now dream with me for a moment. I see effective ministry-oriented practices across the nation and overseas as a result of this organization. Then how about if we link these ministry-oriented practices in an organizational structure that provides spiritual support and pools resources for outreach initiatives at home and abroad? All of us, all of this would require us to shift the paradigm at how we look at our practices as tools in the master's hands to finish his work rather than businesses where we earn a living. So I urge you to meditate and pray about this. Can your financial planner, accountant, tell that you are arc building based on your priorities you followed recently? Does your tax return reflect arc building? These are serious questions all of us need to contemplate. Well, I'm convinced that unlike the rich young ruler, if we're willing to accept the call the master, from the master, then our brightest and greatest days are ahead of us. Who knows what resources the Lord is eagerly waiting to put at our disposal to finish his work. What adventures he has in store for us. Taking the adventure rather than playing it safe. Well, the existence of Amen itself is a reflection of what he wants to do with each one of us. Back in the year 2003, it must be, Michael, I remember after a deep devotional experience, I was reflecting on how much the Lord had transformed me personally, my own practice life, and the, the wonderful turn of events of shifting the focus away from the practice being just a place where I go to work, earn a living, to a place where I can meet people and minister to them, the same practice I had all the time. And I was reflecting on it in prayer, in prayer it occurred to me, that only a few months ago, Michael and I had, had met, uh, I think at ASI, and we had dreamed about this idea of how we can get physicians and dentists together to be more effective in ministry and looking at the practices differently. And so there it is. I remember getting up from my knees and immediately taught up Michael, and I put a call to him and said, look, we have the, the uh, ASI um, meeting is going to be in Cincinnati this year. How about if we just do a luncheon and we can bring these ministry-oriented physicians and dentists together, and they can just share their ideas of how, how they do ministry in their practice and inspire others. And that was my thought. I thought we'd just come out and have a good luncheon. And after the luncheon is over, I said, great, we can, you know, um, just have this again next year. It'll be a good thing to do. But the Lord had bigger plans, and I just give praise to Him most of all, and of course to the ministry-oriented people right here in this organization, many of whom are still on this Amen board, who saw beyond that 
And I give praise to people like Elder Finley, who still serves as an advisor to our board, who saw beyond that as well, to a, a supporting ministry, Amen, which now become Amen, that can look beyond just doing a luncheon every year. And today, here we are, already the impact of this organization, the impact of each one of you individually, is yet to be measured, and only eternity will really tell. And it just as I was thinking and preparing this message, I said to myself, just in the same way, in some little way, the Lord inspired me to just put this on the altar, just a simple thing of just planning a luncheon, resulting in something way beyond what I could even think or imagine, actually, an organization such as this, or Ford Annual Conference, and the impact is making not only here in individual practices, but across the world. Well, when I started out in private practice 11 years ago, there was nothing spiritual in my goals and aspirations. No, indeed, they were absolutely self-centered and secular. I was still a, a good Adventist in good standing in my local church as an elder and uh, actually personal ministries leader, and I did. But practice was one thing and church was another. But six months into that, the Lord took me through a desert experience that reminded me of my position as a steward and of his ownership of all that I have and am. And so I started to make these faith-based decisions in terms of my finances, my time, my talent, and it was such a liberating experience. Indeed, it has been a certain degree addictive. In the areas of my finances, my wife and I made decisions to increase the percentage of our gross income giving to ministries like Amen, ASI, it is written, Amazing Facts, and of course our local church and other ministries locally. And so reciprocally, we, we decided to live on less and less of percentage of our gross income but you know the amazing thing, we never lacked anything. The Lord rewarded our faith every time. So whatever you are, we may have divested of materially is more than made up by our increased faith and our conviction as to his existence and his watch care over us. Last year, my life changed when at 45 years of age, I had a colonoscopy done. I was told I had colon cancer, fortunately quite early. But I had this major procedure, and I remember um, being in that hospital bed for five days. I wrote that, I uh, was inspired to read, write that article in the journal. I, I encourage you to look at that as to get the full story, entitled The, the Other Side of the Hospital Bed. But it took me out of my practice for eight, approximately eight weeks. While, and it took, it has taken a whole year pretty much my patient base to return to where they were before as a result of that experience. But my wife and I did not waver in our commitment to the Lord and to ministry, and the Lord has sought us through every time. There has to be more, there has to be more, there has to be more than a coincidence to the experience of writing a check for $15,000 to ministry and a few days later, you get, a, you get a, a, a something in the mail, you get a letter in the mail from the IRS, and immediately that was an audit, but it was actually a check for 15,000, saying that I miscalculated my taxes. It just, there has to be something more to it than just mere coincidence. So, so in terms of time for ministry, I remember leaving for a mission trip to India in the year 2006. This is right after I enjoined upon our membership that we need to get out, out overseas and do ministry. I thought it was important to lead by example. I remember leaving for that mission trip in, the, in that year, in February, 
with a Farley team. David Catalano happened to end up with me on the same team there. At a time when every circumstance in our practice begged for me to stay. Our cash flow situation was tenuous because we had converted our practice to a rural health clinic. And our two major payers, Medicare and Medicare, were holding our claims for months while awaiting new billing numbers to be assigned to this new rural health clinic. So we were strung out on this line of credit to meet payroll all these months. And that's when I left on a mission trip. And I remember having this conversation with my wife. We had this interesting dialogue. And she said, you need to stay. I wonder what I would do if I stayed. But no, I felt impressed to go. And uh, so I left on a mission trip at, at that crucial junker, juncture. And uh, like I mentioned, when I left on the trip, we had pretty much maxed out on a line of credit because, and I had no guarantee the bank would extend it anymore. Well, I went anyway, and here I am in New Delhi the evening before returning from that mission trip. And I decided to check my, my email from my, from my office manager. And I remember reading that email, and it said that uh, we had just received a, a commitment from the Kentucky Medicaid program. They were going to release to us in one lump sum all that it owed us. All these months, a total of $160,000 that they were holding. Needless to say, we were able to liquidate our credit line and get back to a positive cash flow. Do you find yourself wondering where you will find the time for that overseas mission trip? I encourage you to leave it to the Lord and just go. Just this past year, I took my family with Ron Fleck from Gospel Outreach on, my, on a mission trip to China for three weeks. When we came back, I noticed that our total billing for that month was exactly the same as the month before when I was there. <laughs> so you can take two, uh, <laughs> two lessons from that, but all I can say is <laughs> the Lord made it up with the other providers who work in our practice, and that was an amazing thing to observe. So it is, it is amazing. Once again, the Lord took care of our affairs when we launched out in faith on behalf of his priority. Most importantly, through this whole experience, my faith has been strengthened by each one of these experiences, and that is something that's hard to measure materially. Well, he's calling us both individually as well as an organization, amen, to more faith-based decisions. So back to the rich young ruler, his response, verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. See, he played it safe and lost the most important thing, eternal life. Look around you and you will see examples of loss due to unwillingness to take risks. Most successful companies have learned to reinvent and take risks. Even nations such as ours exist because a group of individuals decided thank you. that they were going to take risks. Risk-taking is an integral part of the whole experience of following the master. And this is something the rich young ruler was not willing to do. So today, the, the, the only, only thing known of the rich young ruler, the only thing on his epithet is this rich young ruler. 
Contrast this to what his legacy could have been if he could have accepted the call from the master. He could have been one of those disciples enjoying the adventure with the master. He could have been with Peter, James, and John when the man came out them outside the temple and said, and was begging, and said, silver and gold we have none, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He could be with Paul in all his journeys, being a part of that. He could be an instrument of his power, seated at a great table beside the master. All of us are called to the same decision, like the rich young ruler. Take up the invitation of Jesus to absolute surrender, obedience, adventure with him that leads into the unknown, but with one known final result, eternal life with the master. Well, Ellen White puts it well in, that, in this last paragraph of that chapter on, on this subject. It says, to those who, like the, the young ruler, are in high positions of trust and have great possessions, it may seem too great a sacrifice to give up all in order to follow Christ. But this is the rule of conduct for all who would become his disciples. Nothing short of obedience can be accepted. Self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. Often it is presented and enjoined in a language that seems authoritative because there is no other way to save man than to cut away those things which, if entertained, will demoralize the whole being. So the rich young ruler was a great loser in the context of eternity. He did not take the invitation in the context of eternity. He did not recognize the one, big O, and he who was extending the invitation. And in the context of eternity, this was indeed the worst business decision ever. The Apostle Paul put that in perspective in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, when he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but are the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in conclusion, can we return, as we ret when we have finished here, return from this Amen conference to our place of service, I enjoin upon you the lessons to be learned from this, this account. To commit to spending more time reflecting on that which is eternal, to seek to know the one master himself who is eternal and with whom you would like to spend eternity and that unlike the rich young ruler you gladly accept that invitation his invitation to leave whatever is holding you back from a total surrender to him and embark on that wonderful adventure with him may god bless you